The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy by Douglas Adams The podcast versions of the original Facebook Live readings during the coronavirus outbreak by Matthew Ogden, The Bearded Wit. Please bear in mind that as Facebook Live recordings, these are rough and ready, there are mistakes, there are a few trip-ups here and there, and there is laughter from the reader as he goes through and follows the humour himself along with you, the listener. We hope you enjoy listening to these and share liberally. Part 40 Before we begin, I'd like to ask you to seriously consider becoming a patron of The Bearded Wit by going to patreon.com forward slash thebeardedwit. You can support me from as little as $5 a month, which is essentially a cup of coffee, uh, and that will mean that I will be able to continue producing this material and other podcasts that I do, and it would mean the world to me to have you um, know that you're, you've got my back on this. Uh, I love producing this material for people, and it's been a huge pleasure for me to do this, uh, which basically started as a project for family and friends right back at the beginning of March last year uh, when the um, COVID-19 virus was really beginning to kick in. It was a way of basically connecting friends and family all over the world who were finding it a bit difficult as we all did and it's grown into something where I've got a lot of people listening all over the world. It would mean the world to me if you could take the time just to pop over to uh, patreon.com forward slash the bearded wit, sign up from as little as five dollars a month, as I say uh, it's a cup of coffee. It would mean the world to me because the more of you guys, you fabulous people out there that do it, the more I'm able to do more of this stuff for you on an ongoing basis. No obligation, but if you can, I would be so deeply grateful. Also, if you could take a moment to pop over to Facebook and uh, give The Bearded Wit a like and follow, uh, and also go over to my new YouTube channel as well, um, just search for The Bearded Wit uh, and subscribe. Uh, I'll be putting all of the live readings slightly edited um, and cleaned up a bit uh, onto that uh, over the coming weeks. Um, But yeah, join up, uh, get involved, like, share, follow, subscribe, do all the usual social media things. Okay, on with the reading. Thanks very much, everyone. I have the squeakiest chair in the world that I'm sitting on. Um, I don't know if you can hear it, but there you go. Um, So I apologise if that becomes a problem. Hello, Fred. I can see you. Fred Metcalf is also joining. Hi, Yura. Um, She has been a stalwart of the bearded wit. Um, has been with me since I started doing these readings back in May, April, May last year. A long time ago, back when the the uh, uh, the whole thing broke. Hello, Niels. Good to see you. Thank you for coming along as usual. And he's also a stalwart supporter. Um, it does mean an awful lot to me that you guys are here. I know a lot of people uh, don't necessarily. Hello, oh, Gadja, Gadija. Uh, apologies, I probably murdered your name. I'm so sorry. Gadija Davids from Cape Town. Good God. I do love it. I get I get letters and I get notes from people literally all over the world. Uh, uh, so it is it is so great to, to see you here from Cape Town. I get letters from people in Australia. I say letters. I'm so old school. Of course, I mean emails. Um, but I get content um, and lovely messages from all over the place. Uh, and, and it seems that people are getting some, some enjoyment out of what I'm doing here. This all started uh, right back in the beginning as, as something during coronavirus I, I've done a number of readings for people uh, in the past and someone said it would be lovely to if some they had someone uh, they were feeling a bit low during the first coronavirus lockdowns and someone said oh god I'd love to have someone come over and and uh, and um, read me a bedtime story and another one of my friends said oh you maybe Matt will do that he don't, likes doing that sort of stuff and I wrote back saying ha, 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 yes that's very good fun and then I sat there and I thought about it for a while it was like actually that's not a bad idea and then another, another bunch of friends had said, why don't you just read The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? So I did. And here we are, a year and a half down the line, and I'm still going. Uh, but we are in the last book. Uh, hello, Tom. Tom Vines is here as well. Um, great that you're all here. I really do appreciate it, as I say. So to recap, um, we are in uh, And Another Thing. 
It is the sixth book of the trilogy. Uh, oh, Jeremy. Uh, okay, we have a Norwegian with us. Hello, Jeremy. Good evening and greetings from Norway. Um, oh, you're very... <laughs> That's very sweet of you, Jeremy. Thanks very much. He says, good evening and, e and greetings from Norway. I'll pass this on to everyone. Uh, I absolutely love that you've been doing this. It's made my workday so much better. It's a pleasure. I have really enjoyed doing this. It's a labour of love, but not, not a trial. Um, I am a huge fan. I was very, 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 very lucky to meet Douglas millions of years ago uh, when I was doing some work with a TV production company. Um, and uh, so, and I got into the books uh, back in the uh, 80s um, uh, after the TV series started. Then I read the books, then I realized it was a radio series and I have been hooked ever since. Uh, so I think one of the things that I love about um, uh, about Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy is it doesn't really matter how you get into it. Once you get into Douglas Adams's logic, uh, you're lost <laughs> if it chimes with you you're lost he's a genius and Owen Colfer in the sixth book really carries it forward enough of me blurbing I bought this forward a bit I had originally planned to do this at 8 30 this evening I apologize that we're half an hour early but the new offices that I'm in um they are um, they, they've set it up the, the alarm in the building is only supposed to go on at 10 o'clock but it seems to set at nine uh, and during the last reading that I did about three weeks ago, uh, I had to turn off the alarm twice. So we're going to try and get as much as we can done the next chapter or so before uh, nine o'clock my time CET. So that's in about 50 minutes. Um, but quick recap. Uh, we are in the sixth book. Um, I've said that about 98,000 times so far this evening. Sorry about that. Um, and we are basically, uh, we have sort of come away from what seemed to be the very bleak ending that Douglas gave us uh, in the previous book, um, where everyone apparently was obliterated and all of the timelines folded and every single version of the Earth was obliterated in the plural zones. Uh, and actually not quite not quite because the the lunatics were saved um uh thanks brett uh I, I i will get back to all of your comments it's very sweet brett thank you very much i really appreciate that mate thank you good man um the uh yes so so the the grebulons were going to uh, basically zark earth to uh, tiny little pieces um, but in the final seconds, everyone in um, uh, Stavro, Stavro Mueller Beta in London was saved um, by the arrival of uh, the infinitely prolonged, um, his name's walked straight out of my head for the moment, but he's, he's basically saved them. And fundamentally, he, um, he wants to be killed. Um, wow bagger, the infinitely prolonged. And he has got a deal with Zaphod to go to Asgard to talk to gods who will then go and kill Wabaga the Infinitely Prolonged. But it seems that also Thor and 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 uh, Zaphod have some, I don't know, a gripe, a bit of a bit of business to deal with. Why we got to last time is Heimdall has been told to let uh, Zaphod into Asgard, and that's where we pick up. <clears throat> So, although we <laughs> to say all of that, that's where we pick up in the story. But where we actually pick up is on a Vogon Bureau Cruiser class hyperspace ship. So here we go. Vogon Bureau Cruiser class hyperspace. Ooh, T. Sorry, God. It's a it's a ritual. I've actually made. I think I think I'm going to get some sympathy with Arthur Dent here because I think the T I've made here is. Um, sort of almost like but exactly nothing quite like tea it looks repulsive but it's out of a machine and it's not very good oh dear god no i do love tea but not that cup that's repulsive i'm, I'm gonna get a pot in instead okay <laughs> here we go vogon bureau classer uh, bureau classer vogon bureau cruiser class hyperspace ship the business end Constant Moan sat in the hyperspace cradle in his home office. 
shivering as the business end lurched out of hyperspace in much the same way as a drunken Beetlejuicean reporter might lurch, lurch out of a convenient bush with an empty bladder. The reporter being the one with the empty bladder, not the bush, unless the bush happened to be a how-high shrub, which expels its seed in a slightly acidic solution when its foliage detects moisture. In essence, you pee on it, and it pees on you. Eight more jumps to go, thought Moan, and then we get to wipe out another species. And in truth, the idea did not give him as much satisfaction as it should. Surely there was no greater pleasure for a Vogon than to close the file on an enforcement order. But Constant Moan was perhaps not as much of an utter bastard as his father liked to think. In fact, in recent months, when Moan searched inside himself for that tough Vogon core necessary to carry out some of his more distasteful duties, instead of steel and krumpst, he found sensitivity and even empathy. It was horrible, awful. How was a constant ever to become a prosthetic with wishy-washy emotions like those swilling around in his thinking gourd. I don't want to be a prosthetic. I, I don't even want to be an enforcement bureaucrat. Oh, sure. Moan gave good Vogon on the bridge, threw his little spaghetti arms around saluting Daddy, waxed euphoric about the unnecessarily painful slow-death torpedoes, but his blood pump wasn't in it. I don't want to kill anyone, even with the right paperwork. Moan had taken a few deep breaths before composing the next thought. There are things more important than paperwork. He said it aloud. There are things more important than paperwork. Suddenly, there was bile in Moan's throat, but the little Vogan was so worked up that he couldn't enjoy it. Moan tumbled from the hyperspace cradle and scrabbled along his bedside draining board until he found a drool cup to spit into. Oh, that was better. Had he really said that aloud? What was happening to him? Moan lowered himself gently onto his cot, an act that would have surprised the hell out of his shipmates. Vogons did not generally have the wherewithal to lower themselves gently onto anything. Plonking awkwardly, or collapsing ignominiously, were the main options open to the Vogon race. Getting up again was even worse than sitting down. Rising from anything lower than a bar stool generally involved a bruised coccyx, a complicated system of weights and pulleys and several pints of splutter. But Moan possessed something heretofore unheard of among the Vogons. Moan possessed a modicum of grace. Moan wiggled a couple of fingers beneath the mattress board and pulled out a small pink piece of plastic contraband. He slipped the item underneath a soft thigh and quarbled nervously for a few moments, building up the croomst to build it out, bring it out into the open. This is the last time, he promised himself. One look and then I'll get rid of it. Never again. The absolute last time. Look at me, said the pink thing, warm through the fabric of his trues. Look at me and see yourself. Moan's fingers tip-tapped on the frame, and then, with a sudden surge of courage, he grabbed the plastic handle and yanked it out. The item was a plastic Barbie mirror, purchased in a cheapo knick-knack market on Port Braster. Authentic Earth memorabilia. 
Mirrors were forbidden on board ship because Vogons got depressed enough without looking at their own mugs in polished glass. Guide Note Vogons survived through determined extrospection. Apart from disdainful dabblings in the poetic arts, most Vogons try to focus their attentions very much on other species in order to avoid dwelling on their own various physical and psychological shortcomings. Vogons rarely spend time in flotation tanks, they never meditate in steam lodges, and they most certainly do not gaze at their misshapen, warty faces in mirrors. The only race to ever have successfully perverted a Vogon planetary demolition order were the Tubaviks of Sinustra, who sent a reformatting screen virus to the Vogon fleet, which turned all their monitors into mirrors. Five minutes after the virus had uploaded, the Vogon ships turned their torpedoes on each other. Moan looked at himself in the mirror and felt no revulsion whatsoever. In fact, he liked what he saw. Oh my God, he thought. What's happening to me? Something had happened to Moan. A few months previously, his block of breakfast gruel had been cross-contaminated with the tip of a toadstool mandarin tentacle, which released just enough entheogens into Moan's system to prompt him to acknowledge something he had already suspected. I do not hate myself. This was revolutionary, if not heretical, but for a Vogon to construct this thought, and it would have short, sorry, this was revolutionary, if not heretical thought, for a Vogon to construct, and would surely have had Moan expelled from the bureaucratic corps had he admitted, admitted to it on his psych test. If the bureaucratic corps had a psych test. Constant Moan had been doing more than just having the thought lately. I do not hate myself, he whispered to the mirror. In many ways, I am altogether too... I'm not, sorry. And in many ways, I am not altogether too bad. And if Moan did not hate himself, what did he have to project onto the universe? If not love, then certainly an affable, diluted version. I like myself, so maybe, perhaps, others could like me too. Not if I kill them first, said Moan morosely to his own reflection. It had pained him to see the earthlings eradicated once. If it happened again, he might just come to hate himself. Moan closed his eyes around the tiny mirror. Why did I tell my father about the colony? But Moan knew the answer to this one. I told him because it's common knowledge and he would have found out, and then I would have been the one who didn't tell him, and without me, the earthlings have no chance. Moan smiled weakly at his reflection, then tucked the mirror under his mattress board. There must be a way, he thought. A way to save the humans and not get myself flushed out of a torpedo tube. The Tangrishnir While Bagger's ship red-shifted from the real universe into the mysterious omni-layer of dark space, the view through the portholes was so utterly exotic that an average being could only handle a few seconds of it before either lapsing into catalepsy or replacing the actual view with some pleasant imagining that revealed a lot about the person doing the imagining. Ford Prefect actually blushed. Goosenog, he squeaked, covering one porthole with his satchel. I've seen a few things in my day and in my night too, but... 
That right there, that is... And he fled the bridge, deciding that there were times in man's life that it was better to be alone rather than to discuss the view, which he had a sneaking suspicion originated in the recesses of his own mind, particularly the recesses that had been conceived one winter afternoon during the meat festival of Carnival, when he'd been dressed as a polo bear and had become entangled in a tower of stacked chairs, only to be rescued by a gaggle of three-legged student liposuckers who demanded a very curious reward. What's his problem? wondered Random. All I see is nothing and, and more nothing. An eternity of nothing to see. You are lucky, said Bowerick Wowbagger. There are worse things to see than nothing. Nothingness, for example. Wow, that's cheery. You should write greetings card messages. Listen, odd child, you may earn, learn something. From you? No thanks. I think I'd rather stay stupid. Your wish has already been granted. Random bristled a tad more than she was already bristling, which was a shade more than the average berry-snouted spike hog that has just smelled a hunting dog. How dare you! Don't you know who I am? A member of the cult of ridiculousness from the stammering mudflats of Santraginus Five, offered Bowerick. That's ridiculous. Oh, my mistake. The cult of ridiculous from the stammering mudflats of Santraginus 5. Guide note. This conversation had similar elements to the exchange that precipitated the collapse of the actual cult of ridiculousness from Santraginus 5. The COR at their zenith had, at several, had had several dozen names on their mailing list, but the entire organisation self-destructed following a particularly contentious Friday Q&A session when committee treasurer Tatal Yuchun challenged chairman Ulun Yajit as to the validity of the society's name. The minutes read as follows. Yajit. The chair recognises Treasurer Yuchun. Yuchun? Of course you recognise me, I'm your cousin. We shankled vocal dumplings together, or would you prefer to forget about that? Yujit. Please, Tatal. Yuchun. That's Treasurer Yuchun. Yujit, sighing. Please, Treasurer Yuchun, can we keep this civil? Yuchun. You knowed all about civil, wouldn't you? Very civil it was of you to drop around with some spare contraceptives to my betrothed last week. Most civil. Yajit. I explained that. Yachun. Bark of bitter laughter. Ha <laughs> ha! Yes, the water balloon story. How could I forget? Yajit. Was there something official you wished to present? Yachun. There certainly was. I move that the society's name be changed from the cult of ridiculousness to the cult of ridiculous ridiculosity. Yajit. Are you serious? Yachun. Totally. Ridiculousness is a little dated, a little slapstick. I think ridiculous. I can't say it. I think ridiculosity gives us more gravity. Yajit. Gravity? We're a society that celebrates the history of absurdist comedy as portrayed on cereal box cards. Gravity? That's ridiculous. Yachun. Aha! You are making my point for me. Yajit, standing abruptly. Yajinan loves me, not you. Get over it and you can keep this stupid society. Yachun, also standing and pulling out a large machete that he had somehow concealed in his regulation-striped comedy shorts. It's not stupid, it's ridiculous, and there's a difference. The rest of the transcript is rendered ineligible, as bloodstreaks have dissolved the ink. Only three phrases can be deciphered in the final lines, and these are... 
electronically tested, call those comedy shorts, and of course elephants dream. Draw your own conclusions. Random crossed her arms and shifted her weight as if leaning into a strong wind. I know what you're thinking, Bowerick. You're thinking that any second now I'll run out of things to say and resort to I hate you and a stomping exit. I was rather hoping our exchange would end in the traditional way. You don't get off that easily a second time. I've got the gripes of a pensioner and the energy of a teenager, so I can argue all day if that's what you want. Bowerick Wowbagger pinched the bridge of his nose. That is so removed from what I want, you have no idea. Trillian actually wrung her fingers as the exchange escalated. She was so far in the red as regards good parenting credits that she had no idea where the high moral ground even was. Even if she could occasionally glimpse it, as a myopic hiker glimpses a mist-sodden hill at night, she had no idea who currently occupied it or how to scale its slopes. She could accidentally bump into them. Random, she snapped, then reeled it back in. I meant to say random, softly like that, random... What are you babbling about, mother? Trillian felt the old virtual animosity building up, but she choked it back down. I want to be gentle with you, understanding. But but babbling, babbling, random, honey. I'm, I'm more than a mother, I'm your friend, but I, I don't babble, darling. Random turned her goth lasers on Trillian. Really? Seems to me like you're babbling now, babbling and hovering. Shouldn't you be off covering a dog fair or something, leaving me alone again with some perfect stranger, perhaps? Before Trillian could choose a reply and then temper it with compassion born of guilt, Bowerick Wowbagger decided that he'd had enough for the moment. Ship, he said. Tube the younger female. The mouth of a transparent tube popped down from the suddenly liquid ceiling and wavered over Random's head. It mimicked her movements and then whooped down as soon as its predictive software reckoned it knew where the target was going next. Random was enclosed in a soundproof tube and sent to sleep with a shot of twinkling green gas. Her face twitched and then assumed a strange expression that it took Trillian a moment to identify as a smile. Now I'm going to cry, she said, gazing fondly at her drugged and imprisoned daughter. I haven't seen a smile like that for years. Not since Random was appointed junior judge in preschool. She loved handing out those demerits. The child is dreaming. I can show you the recording if you'd like, offered the green ship's captain. There was a ball of anger clogging Trillian's throat, and now she had a legitimate reason to cough it up. How dare you, she cried, eyes wide, chin thrust forward. You sedated my daughter. Wowbagger picked up a small pink sliver from the floor. And I cut off her index finger. Trillian gagged on her ball of anger. You, 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 you what, you bloody what? Technically, the ship did it. That tube has sharp edges. She must have stuck her finger out at the last second, possibly to deliver some obscene gesture. My girl, my little girl, you sliced... Wowbagger wow tossed the digit towards the ceiling, which absorbed it into the plasma. Now, now, not sliced. Sliced implies deliberate intent. It was an unfortunate accident at worst. Trillian hammered on the tube with her palms. 
Arthur, this lunatic is cutting up our daughter. Hardly cutting up, said Wowbagger, consulting his wafer computer. The computer has already grown a new finger for her. Trillian checked. It was true. A brand new pink index finger was steaming gently on the end of Random's metacarpal. There was no blood, and the teenager did not seem in the least bit com uncomfortable. Your daughter is relaxed and dreaming, continued Bowerick Wowbagger. He winced at whatever was on screen. Though perhaps it's better if I don't show you the dreams. <clears throat> They're a little matricidal. Wake her up, demanded Trillian. Absolutely out of the question. Wake her up immediately. Not likely. She's insufferable. And you're not, I suppose? Wowbagger considered this, rubbing a thumb with his forefinger to focus his thoughts as was traditional among his people. Guide note. Wowbagger's people had believed this action to be an old number one concubine's tale until scientists discovered pockets of natural adenosine blocker secreted below the thumb pads. A brisk thumb scratch unleashes as much energy as five medium cups of a caffeine beverage. Many people become addicted to the little highs and spend all day on the couch twiddling their thumbs. I think some people find me insufferable he concluded, but I would bet that no one likes that child unless they are blinded by familial bonds. So now I'm blinded. I can't think of another reason why you would tolerate this person. She's vile. Grant me that much. I will not grant you a thing. Have you heard how she talks to me? How she talks to you? Trillian's cheeks were on fire. We've had our problems. They are our problems. Now release my daughter. Wowbagger winced at the thought. How about I put her in storage for a while? I can have the computer melt some of that nicotine from the walls of her lungs. Don't you dare put her in storage, shouted Trillian, resisting a strong urge to stamp her foot. Then, nicotine? Has she been smoking? Well, for a few years, according to my readings. Smoking? Where did Random find time to smoke? I don't think I've ever seen her breathe in with all the complaining she does. Storage? Go on. Trillian was tempted. No, no, but maybe a lung scrape. Bowerick waved his fingers over a few sensors, and Random's tube was suffused with flickering laser waves. Random will have to sweat that tar out over the next few days. She may experience some nausea. Good. That should teach her a lesson. Smoking. Bowerick reached his hand into amorphous gel table and pulled out a mug of tea. I think we should leave her in there until we reach the nebula. Nobody suffers. Everyone's a winner. Wowbagger had a charming way about him, and Trillian found herself forgetting the severed digit. After all, Random was perfectly fine. In fact, she was better than fine. She was mint. No, I, I couldn't. Could I? Wowbagger shrugged. From what I've gathered, you're hardly mother of the century. So what's a few extra days apart? And right there, the charmingness ended. How bloody dare you, you uncouth green alien! We are in open space. So, technically, there are no aliens here. You have no idea what I've been through. You are in no position to judge me. 
This was the stage of the conversation where Arthur would have sidled in from the room, uh, sidled from the room in search of some vital but unnamed object in an unspecified and hard-to-reach location. Even Ford would have taken one look at Trillian's face and known to shut his cocktail hole. But Wowbagger, having nurtured a death wish for several millennia, instinctively pointed his green prow towards dangerous situations. It's unlikely, his, uh, his subconscious said, but perhaps this earth woman, this undeniably attractive earth woman, could do me some grievous bodily harm. Wishful thinking. Actually, I do have an idea what you've been through. The computer mined your memories. I have it all on file. You perused my memories? Of course. I was taking you on board my ship. You might have been a mass murderer, with any luck. You had no right. Oh, here we go with the journalist speak. What happened to will be no trouble, Mr. Wowbagger? I asked you to take a few hitchhikers on board, not to dig out at the memories from our heads. Again, you're using the wrong verb. There were no digging implements involved. Trillian clenched her fists so fiercely that her phalanges creaked. You pedantic, smarmy ass! Ah, yes, I had forgotten how fond you people are... were of lower life-form-based insults. What's next, cheeky monkey? Oh, I could do better than that. Really? I'll get my notebook. I'm always on the lookout, you know. Trillian thrashed like a combatant being restrained by invisible arms. That's right, wowbagger. Make a list of insults so you can while away your meaningless life making people miserable as opposed to spending your life away from your child, reporting on other people's misery? At least I'm not making them miserable. Really? Why don't you ask the girl in the tube? They were well matched, and Bowerick was warming to the contest. He tossed his mug into the ceiling and gave the human female his full attention. Go on then, Trillian Astra. Give me something new I haven't heard a million times before. Zark you, Bowrick. What do you think? New? Do you think I'd waste my time trying to impress someone who mutilated my daughter? I think so. You media personalities are always trying to impress the universe. Think of me as a viewer. Trillian might have smiled. There were teeth involved. A viewer? I never tried to cater to viewers in your demographic. And which demographic would that be? The lunatic fringe. The sad loner brigade. A loner brigade? said Bowerick, smirking. You're hiding, Wowbagger, in this ship, behind words. You are a sad, lonely, stupid man, wasting the incredible gift you've been given. Imagine the things you could have done. Wowbagger could not hold her eyes. I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. Attack ships on fire off the shoulder of Orion. I watched sea beams glitter in the dark near the Tannhauser Gate. All those moments will be lost in time, like tears in rain. You are pathetic. That was one of my favourite movies. I've watched a lot of movies and insulted a lot of people. That too. All over a couple of elastic 
bands. Zarking bands. We now know that the whole elastic band doctrine was doctrine was buffer biscuit. You had an eternity and wasted it. Bowerick leaned hard against the wall, disappearing up to the shoulder. I did. I did, and I want to die. So do I. Bowerick was surprised at this, and by how much it upset him. You want to die? Trillian placed a hand on his smooth green cheek. No, stupid. I want you to die. Finally, we agree on something. Trillian stared into Wowbagger's emerald eyes. How soon do you have to die? she asked. Bowerick had been around long enough to spot an opening when he heard one. Not immediately, he said, and leaned down to kiss Trillian Astra. She was shaking a bit, but not as much as the girl in the tube who had just regained consciousness. Hi, Daniel. I can just see your comments. Uh, we're in the sixth book. We're doing um, uh, and another thing. Uh, we're about a third of the way into it, and you miss quite a bit. But you can get uh, this is a good opportunity for me to do a little bit of a pitch. You can find all of the previous books on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, on Amazon now as well, on Google, uh, shortly on Audible as well. Um, so so they're all there, but uh, search for The Bearded Wit on wherever you get your podcasts and you can catch up. Also, you can see the videos. Uh, there's a whole list of videos um, uh, here. And if, like anyone else, you'd like to support this, you can support me by becoming a patron on www.patreon.com forward slash the bearded wit thank you very much for coming along good man enjoy right let's do a little bit more asgard it tickled the aesir's divine fancy to set impossible tasks for mortals then pull up a bar stool to the view pool and watch the unfortunate prince or suitor burst a gut trying to do his god's bidding Slaying the fiercest dragon was a favourite, as was climbing the tallest tower or crossing the widest desert. Anything with a superlative in it. The best impossible tasks were the ones that were so close to possible that the poor Egypt being run around in circles would almost touch victory when failure crept up behind and administered a fatal dose of gruesome death. Tasks were generally handed down in groups of three, so the one being tested could taste success on the first two and even develop a bit of a cocky swagger, which made for a much higher high five when the testy god delivered his killer blow on task three. Odin insisted on wildcard rules, so that in theory the mortal always had a chance of success. But in the history of task setting, only one man had successfully completed three tasks without dying somewhere in the process. Truth be told, that man had actually been Odin himself in one of the human disguises he was so proud of. Ooh, all the other gods were forced to coo. What an amazing mortal who looks nothing like Odin! and pretend that it was a totally non-ridiculous thing that a mortal could move faster than the speed of cameras and change size whenever it suited him. You'd think he would have made an effort with the fake name. Loki had mental-brained to Heimdall. I mean, Wodin. Come on. Zaphod Beeblebrox had managed to negotiate from three tasks down to one which, in effect, meant that he would fail and perish two tasks early, 
a fact that would have been a devastating trauma-inducing effect on absolutely no one inside the ice shell except Zephod Beeblebrox. The galactic president found himself listing to one side as he pelted along the rainbow bridge. My balance is all off without left brain, he realised, and my breathing too. He was sucking down big breaths, but only a fraction of the air was making it to his lungs. There's a leak somewhere. In actuality, there was no tracheal leak. It was simply that Zaphod lungs were accustomed to a pair of windpipes feeding them, but now there was only one, and it was struggling to do the job. It didn't help that the carbon dioxide mix was a little too CO2 heavy for most mortals, so the closer Zaphod got to the planet's surface, the woozier he became. "'Compliments to the underbrasier!' he yelled, because it seemed appropriate. And though this may seem like a nonsense sentence, hodgepodge together by a doped and dopey brain, this particular phrase happened to be that day's password for the Helheim pressure cannons located below the Asgardian iron mines. Which would have mattered not at all, had not Zaphod's delirious utterances been picked up by the fading beams of Heimdall's call to Odin and transmitted to the wireless earpiece of Hel, the mistress of Helheim. Even then, no action would have been taken without the failsafe bongo code, a complicated series of taps known only to the big knob gods, which had to be physically hammered into the vein of iron that ran through the stone of Hilskjaf, Odin's gigantic watchtower and throne, all the way down to Helheim. However, as the iron of Asgard has a little divine magic in its molecules, there is a certain amount of communication between the vein and any metal that has been removed from the vein. The bridge, for instance. And as Zaphod tore across by frost, the corrugated nubs of his melted, melted heels sent a flurry of pings and bongs vibrating into the bridge with every footfall. Pings and bongs that perfectly matched the fail-safe bongo code for the Helheim pressure cannons. Highly unlikely. 47 million to one against piddling odds for anyone or anything inside the footprint of an infant improbability drive spooled round corona of coincidence and serendipity. Zaphod's sense of balance was further discombobulated by the mini-cyclones burrowing through the tube of false atmosphere and thrumming about his head and shoulders. Dragonwash, he realised, the beasties are close! If Zaphod's sense of balance was a little discomforted, then his other senses were positively assaulted by the approach of the dragons to his rear. They soared through the true atmosphere, improbably graceful, long necks undulating with each wingbeat, fire snuffles playing around their nostrils. Several scaly heads poked into Zaphod's peripherals, but the creatures didn't seem to be in any hurry to nudge him off the bridge. They're toying with me, bloody flying rodents. Evening, gents, he called breathlessly. Uh, you can't be bored off. I suppose I have a really good replicator on the ship. Whatever you guys want, name it. The dragon with the most horns swooped in close to act as a spokesman for the group. Whatever we want, it said in a voice like meat being sucked through a bottleneck. Wow, okay, let me think. We could spare him, couldn't we, boys? Sure, could do, why not? It was an encouraging start, thought Zaphod. So, what do you want? Tell me what I can do for you. The horned dragon chewed on a flap of skin hanging from its nose. Could you fit us all onto your ship? Of course I could, huffed Zaphod, without a second, considering whether this was actually true. And could you transport us to a new world, where, oh, a young world, brimming with life? That is not a problem. Off the top of my head, I can think of a dozen. This is, and this is my stupid head. The dragon inched closer, 
so the blue flames at its salamandroid nostrils singed Zaphod's hair. And could we kill every last being on the planet? It said in a growled whisper. And the trees, called one of his mates. We want to burn down the trees for a laugh. And the trees, said Spokes Dragon. Even dragons need to relax. Zaphod was amazed that he could run and talk at the same time. What was the bit before trees? Kill everyone. Oh, and lay eggs in their corpses. That's very important to us. Can you arrange this, little mortal? Uh, whereabouts in their corpses? asked Zaphod, just to make conversation. Oh, you know... Hollows, crevices, eye sockets are good. Although he didn't think he had it in him, Zaphod ignored the pain in his lungs and picked up the pace. Why do you always do these things, stupid? He silently berated himself. Do you even know why you're here? He didn't. The reason would come back to him when he had a second to think. If he had a second. And that is where we'll leave it for this evening. Yeah, I know, it's so exciting and I'm such a, such a tease leaving us on that point. Thank you all so much for joining. We will do this again, not next Monday, but next Tuesday. I have my parents in from the UK. I live in Denmark and they're over for a visit uh, and they fly back next Monday evening. So we will do this again on the Tuesday if that's okay. Same time, same place. I think it's good to do it at, as I say, 8 o'clock, so 8 to 9 CET, however that translates into the times where you are in the world. Thank you, all of you, for joining me this evening. It's been brilliant. Um, do catch up with the rest of the readings. As I say, they're available um, in, a, in here somewhere as well. Uh, in Facebook, but by, that's what I mean by here, not like this building, in Facebook, um, and also, as I say, on, on Spotify and uh, Apple Podcasts and TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, Deezer, Acast, Google, anywhere that you get a podcast. Um, I've updated the feeds now, so I'm actually on Acast. It's a really good thing if you're ever going to do a podcast. But that pumps everything out into the the podcast universe. Um, but please do um, become a a, a, a patron. Patreon.com, the bearded wit forward slash hashtag the bearded wit. Uh, that would be brilliant. Um, oh, God, that's a good point. That's a, Oh, sorry, I've just seen Nils is saying on the 16th next. Ooh. Ooh, maybe should we do Wednesday then? I'll I'll put it I'll put it on the on the group. Um, Nils has just said it's we've got an election next um, next week in Denmark, so perhaps we'll do this on the Wednesday. Um, we'll sort it out. Tom, thanks for being here tonight, mate. See you. Um, I will put a put a message out. I'll set up an event so so everyone can see it and I'll share it. Uh, but guys, great job. Thank you so much. Uh, see you in just over a week's time. Take care and look after yourselves. Thanks a lot. Bye, everyone. Ooh.